0: Malcolm homeline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on this uh, Friday morning. Mr. Honlein, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Oh, thank you. It's great to be with you as always.
0: I appreciate that, and what a week it has been. There is, Boring. There is so much going on, and so much that we just don't understand, um, but I guess we'll start. With the following, we have over the last, I don't know how many months at this point, encouraged people to continue to thank and laud uh, Senator Menendez of New Jersey because of his stand regarding sanctions in Iran. It seems he took a turn on that issue this week. Could you tell us what he said, what he plans on doing, and if we should temper our thanks a bit toward the senator?
1: No, his leadership uh, remains very significant. He's uh, taken the issue uh, of the sanctions building, the additional sanctions, I should say. And um, what what's happened this week is really misunderstood to a degree. He didn't back off support, but he did call on his fellow Democrats, in a sense, to uh, wait until the March, March 23rd, 24th, whatever the deadline uh, they set. But, in fact, the Senate calendar would have dictated that the issue wouldn't have come up. The bill couldn't have come up until March. And what they assured is that it would be taken up immediately. It essentially gave the White House a deadline. The White House can claim, uh, you know, get, get satisfaction for the fact that they bought this time. But it says to them now, you said you needed the time that if this passed, it would sabotage the negotiations. And, obviously, the Iranians would have played that to the hilt. Um so now the, the onus is there. You have a deadline. The Senate Banking Committee yesterday marked up the bill, so it isn't that the process is dead or has or stopped. It will continue. Uh, the markup was passed 18-4, to 4, which was way beyond what the expectations were. And, in fact, if you judge by that, and some of the senators who had not previously endorsed the legislation or taken a position supported the bill in the committee... The feeling is that there are now enough votes or, or there's 66 of the 67 pretty much locked in. Now we want to hear from a few others, including some from this area, like Senator Gillibrand, Senator Booker who haven't uh, yet indicated uh, that they will support this bill when it co- if it comes up in, if, when it comes up in March.
0: Boy did the media paint this differently than you're telling us.
1: Well, because, you know, they want to show that the, as if they, it doesn't have the support. It is true that a, a lot of pressure was
0: No, not not just that. They wanted to show us that there's a White House victory that the pressure from Washington was able to get them to postpone.
1: Well, I said to you that the White House will certainly claim satisfaction for, for the postponement. Right. There was a lot of pressure brought to bear. I don't think that uh, anybody should be punished. Uh because if you if you know the inner workings, and you know what the schedule would be anyway, right. it is not such a vast change.
0: So, would senators- we have
1: preferred that this thing be passed right away, and the White House and the Congress work together and just agree and go to the Iranians and say, "Listen, here's the message: that if you if you continue to stall, the the word is that they that they are stalling on all of this. On this, they stall. Right. On their aggressiveness in the region, they never stall. So uh um yeah i think that there is some uh, misrepresentation about what what really happened
0: so when senator schumer and others um jill or Brandon booker were still waiting for as you mentioned but when senator schumer and others and it's a pretty impressive list joined as co-sponsors this week th- this was significant this was not jumping onto a bill that's now drifting away this is as you would describe just as strong as it was earlier
1: the bill remained strong right the the um Process, the
0: timings a bit different.
1: that the timing is different. Uh, and again I, I agree that the, you know the, if the Iranians read this in that way, then it's a bad thing because then they say that look the White House has undermined the support that the, that the, the Menendez who, who uh, wrote the letter to, to his colleagues um, isn't as supportive. he is as supportive and if you read his statements, you see that he remains committed to passing it. And their feeling is that it will be easier now to get a veto-proof majority in March by virtue of of the steps that were taken.
0: Right, and the numbers indicate that. All right, um, since we're talking about Washington, so true or false? True or false that President Obama has sent an army of personnel to Tel Aviv to work on ousting Benjamin Netanyahu on the 17th of March?
1: No, I don't think that the president sent them. There are people who have gone, who have worked for the president. Uh, some of whom are now working, I think, on the Clinton campaign. I haven't checked the other people and of one, but the the charge that's being made is uh, that uh, that these people who work for them are going now to work for a group called, I think it's called One Vote, right. uh, which has received funding from the State Department, supposedly for uh, to, to rally support for the Kerry initiative. So I have questions about whether that is a legitimate allocation of taxpayers' funds to work in another country to influence the public opinion. I guess it's done in many places. So uh, the, the only – and I know members of Congress are going to be looking into this. Uh, the, only, the the question is not whether who's,
0: – Who's been brave enough to announce that they're going to look into it?
1: Oh, some members of Congress have already said that – Including they, Democrats? Well, it's, yes, of course. Oh, yeah. Because okay. it's a question of the allocation of funds. Right. To an organization to engaged in such a partisan activity, uh, influencing uh, American policy, if, if the Knesset had allocated money to an organization in America that's working against the Kerry initiative, let's say to influence American public opinion on it, I think that there would be an outcry and and, and you know calls for an investigation by the Knesset as well as probably by some Americans.
0: Right. All right. So for those for those of us who are going to be at the Shabbos table tonight, and the discussion will be the meddling of Washington in the Israeli election, on a scale of one to ten, how much meddling is there?
1: Well, you know, there's direct and indirect meddling. There's uh, ways that you can communicate uh, messages, uh, aside from this uh, this charge about one vote, which right. I do think is a serious issue to look into. Yeah. Oh. Um, It it has happened in the past, Clinton years, other years, where you've had, you know, um, activities supported by European governments, by American governments, by others, that I think, you know, cross traditional lines and, and even acceptable lines. Uh, do I think that the administration would like to see somebody else at the helm? Yes, I think so. I think they've made pretty clear where they stand that they...
0: With, with that in mind, if there was no election in March, would Washington have been, would the White House have been as insulted with the way the Boehner invitation to Netanyahu and the acceptance of that invitation, uh, came down? Would it have been as big of an issue if there was not an election coming up?
1: Well, for them, yes. Uh, I think that the, uh, Look, the tensions are very clear between the administration and, and uh, the prime minister, or president and the prime minister. It's unfortunate for both sides. This is not something that, that's good for America. It's good for Israel. It's not good for either. And it's something I told the president in our first meeting six years ago that there shouldn't be public daylight because the enemies of both countries exploit it and it undermines. I will tell you for Arab countries. Their faith in what they can expect from America, because they do believe the myths about, you know, Jewish control, these or lobby, all of these things, and they say if Israel can't rely on the United States, what chance do we have? And the when we see all of the enemies that are arising in the region to America, the the um, attitude towards the United States, even on the part of some of our so-called allies in the Arab world, this is a bad message. You don't show this kind of public dispute and. One can legitimately argue that it was not handled right and there should have been clearance. And Boehner now says that he did uh, call the White House just before. You know, if the relationship were different, none of these things would be happening. And I think it's too important. Uh, You know, I know the media loves it. I know there are people who love to get into this and to discuss it. The fact is that I think it's painful. It's it's not acceptable to have this kind of tension that makes every issue uh, a huge or that... The Prime Minister, and I, I saw a piece that that really changed my thinking on it. And essentially, it argued the moral responsibility that if the Prime mm-hmm. Minister gets an invitation like this, and how it came about, we'll learn. And the process, I think, you know, is something that the books will be written about, and, and people legitimately can question. But the the moral responsibility that, in 1939, a Jew, the, the head of the, a Jewish state then would have been given the opportunity to talk to the members of Congress about what was happening in Europe. When you see Iran as an existential danger, do you pass up the opportunity to speak to the most powerful body in the world to make your case as an educational
0: thing? With that in mind, will the speech happen?
1: Right now, the speech will happen in March. Will it ultimately happen? I would say... 70% there. Yes.
0: And is the Israeli media's role in all this. We know what's been happening here. We know the reaction from Washington. I asked if there was an election, would it have been a severe etc. The Israeli media is feasting on this, right? They're 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 calling BB to task for embarrassing the Israeli people in Washington.
1: Well, most of the media there is, is not pro Netanyahu, it's right. not pro good um, so, this is uh, fodder for them. So, one, they, they took, uh, took a few days off of um, focusing on Mrs. Netanyahu <laughs> and started focusing on this. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's not a legitimate issue. I think there are legitimate questions that can be raised uh, about the process, about what happened. But the, um, you know, the, they beat them up on, on everything at a time when we have the problems in the North. You have so many other issues uh, that are, are prevalent. Um, and should be the focus of, of everybody's attention.
0: Well, you're right. And with that in mind, I ask you, the last time you were in the Prime Minister's house, did you notice an inordinate number of empty bottles in any of the corners of the home?
1: <laughs> and that they order small bottles of water because you get a big, bigger <laughs> refund on them than, than on the big bottles of water.
0: If you're, By the way, don't do it now, folks. You don't want to miss the rest of the weekly, <laughs> a weekly update, but uh, you can Google Netanyahu bottles, and you'll see the latest scandal, quote-unquote, in Israel, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, Round the world in the web, jmnam.org. Special hello to those tuned in on the NSN app from anywhere around the world let's go backwards on the story this terrible tragedy up north and the reason i say it like that in terms of going backwards is let's start with today's news then we'll go uh, back to the episode itself is there now an official ceasefire some type of agreement between israel and hezbollah for quiet on the northern border
1: it would appear so it would appear that the uh, there's a temporary lull it would be more likely uh, that the uh, after the israeli strike the uh, Hezbollah now can claim that they retaliated, that they got their revenge with mm. the killing of the two uh, soldiers. Sorry. And they had, did send messages to the Israelis that they want st- that, to de escalate it. They don't want an all out war, uh, which it looked like they were heading towards. And it seems that Israel, for the time being, accepted. But Israel is on high alert in the north. There was a lot going on. You know, they started drilling in various locations to look to see if there are tunnels they um they, there are these strange buildings that have appeared 4 or 500 meters from the border uh, in the Golan uh, and uh, uh, they believe that they may be just a front for peop- for for digging like they did along the Gaza border um, and the uh, we have revelations in Egypt also of them finding these new uh, and, and longer borders between Gaza and Egypt and we'll talk about that uh but the so, the situation of the Golan is very complicated. It's very uh, uh, testy right now because you have on the other side maneuverings going on. It's not ISIS, which is really still distant from, from the Golan itself, but Al Nusra is very active there and Hezbollah. And the Iranians, the fact that when Israel struck and they killed an Iranian general from the IRGC, and that you had pictures of the essay of an IRGC general going to visit the, the grave of, uh, of Munia, the head of the uh, Hezbollah group that was killed there. And the belief was that this was planning a, a, a mission to plan out an attack a- against Israel. Uh, the very fact that you have the presence, you see the escalating Iranian role, the, the buildup of missiles. Everyone knows that there are more than 100,000 missiles, but they have other new uh, equipment and new weapons. This was, the, the soldiers were killed. They were two kilometers from the border, and were killed by a, um, an anti-tank rocket, which mm-hmm. is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And it appears that they did not have an armored vehicle. Uh, and so that's something I'm sure that will become an issue at some point, if, if that is true. Uh, so there is an escalation. There is concern that Hezbollah or others would have an interest in raising the tension. They do not want an all-out war. They know that the, the support for that, both amongst Lebanese and amongst others. And even there were some courageous uh, spokespeople in Lebanon who who came out against it and, and spoke about the, the danger of the escalation. So the... you
0: got to explain that. Why, why would they not, unless they're just simply not prepared for it? Is that is that the reason they don't want to know that works? They're simply not prepared for it at this point?
1: Well, there are a couple of reasons. One is, remember, they, they have been bled by the fighting the, in, in Syria where they could have a couple thousand of their men. They've lost perhaps uh, 1,500 uh, of their soldiers, which is a lot for uh, for uh, Hezbollah. Um, the people of Lebanon they know are very much against it because they pay the price for you know this kind of uh, uh, of a conflict. Uh, so there are logistical and other reasons why uh, they may not want to see. They don't want an all-out war. We believe that they are planning, and the new strategy, and I talked about this on the show weeks ago, which this planned attack would support, and that is that they want to penetrate, they want to try and take some territory, they want to uh, not just use the rockets, but to go on the ground. And that's a lesson everybody learned from IS, that you have to take territory right. in order to put down your marker and to, to Make progress. Uh, claim a, a, a somewhat of a victory. Mm-hmm. I don't think they believe they could hold on to it. So the planned attack was probably more of a terrorist-type attack. And
0: and they save face because they, they retaliated the way they said they Now would.
1: they say, look, we retaliate. We, they, uh-huh. they can go to their people, say they save face by what they did. Uh, Israel has to make decisions about whether they, they uh, accepted. And and Mugnia, were clearly for Hezbollah and Iran. Uh, they have uh, upgraded the Golan operation. And... Um I think that uh, he, he commanded uh, several dozen selected fighters. Uh, he was an expert in explosives and rockets. Uh, so that all fits why I think that the intelligence would point to the kind of strategy rather than an all-out attack.
0: Right. Um, so much going on with the Israeli election, of course. And it seems it, it seems more than in recent elections, maybe I've just forgotten, that the choice of who gets on the list is a big fact. I don't remember it ever being such a high-profile procedure of who gets on everybody's list. And, of course, enough, Tully Bennett choice of a soccer legend in Israel caused a tremendous stir this week. Did he make a terrible mistake choosing someone like that
1: to be on his list? Well, he dropped out. Oh, he's gone. He's gone already. <clears throat> and what's interesting is that people on the list, how many people are opting off the list. <laughs> Some saying they you know they're doing it for Shalom Bayes, uh, for for you know out of respect to somebody else who wanted to see you saw the fight between uh, uh, with Abiy Dichter over the twenty uh, slot uh, which he lost ultimately and Benny Begin now being given the eleventh slot the one that the prime minister could appoint which was very surprising nobody had even mentioned his name and he has been out of politics for a long time
0: is he accepting it
1: yes he has wow. So the name obviously helps the the ticket, but the I don't think that you know he, he himself has had a big following uh, because he's been he's very quiet red and uh, humble guy. He's why did politics.
0: Why did Caroline Glick say no to the liquid list?
1: You know, going into politics not exactly the most attractive thing, and she <laughs> has she has children to care for. She has. Uh, a, a brilliant career as a writer. I
0: think we would have lost one of the best voices in journalism if she would have gone until we could. I'm glad she didn't go. She could
1: continue to write. That's not.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's not. The, it's not the same when you have skin in one specific game. You know what I mean?
1: Right. And everything that she said would be seen in the yeah. context it is now. Anyway, for those who want to, to typecast her, but uh, but also you know the the infighting, the question of whether you you have a safe seat. People don't want to be humiliated and be. Just the one above the cut, you know. right? You get the 17 seats, and you're number 18, or 19.
0: right? They call it Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> that would not be nice, not good for your reputation uh-huh. if you're the last guy chosen, right? But that's up to the voters ultimately. That they can't control. You know, they don't know. They don't know what's going to happen. At a general, I would assume your answer in terms of who's up and who's down is the same as every week. That there's no way of telling at this point what's going to happen in March.
1: Well, it's clearly between the two major parties. The other parties are are uh, of secondary importance. Bennett obviously still pulls strongly, but Cacolone is under ten. Lieberman is four, I think, right now. So. It's, it's between them and their two votes apart, but remember that it's not just how many votes, it's who can put together a 61-vote majority right. and show the president that they could do it.
0: There'll be no other visits, right? In other words, Netanyahu might come here in March. Well, he will be in Washington in March no matter what. The question is you know, what his speaking schedule will be. Uh, but no other, candidates will be invi- no other major candidates will be invited to the White House, which has happened in the past, right? It that,
1: won't happen now, especially happen. now that this is so public. Um, that, that won't happen. There was discussion of whether President Rivlin, when he was here this week, would go or would not go. But, uh, you know, he's nonpartisan.
0: Is the new leader of Saudi Arabia any different from his predecessor?
1: Well, we have a king named Salman, you know, so <laughs> we all love Salman, so that, that, uh, it's a good sign. A
0: personal preference being issued on the air. I like that.
1: Right. So <laughs> we'll get a bagel old box.
0: So, uh If the the name is Salmon, the community's got to love it. That notwithstanding, what can you tell us? All
1: along, (laughs) everybody else's name begins with M. He's the one exception. uh, All along, you know, it has been said, and when I was in Saudi Arabia, I heard it directly that people said, you know, he has dementia, he has other inabilities, and yet he came in with all guns blazing. He's made some changes, including, they say, in regard to the rights of women, uh... He has shaken up the the uh, government. He's made appointments. He removed Prince Bandar, for instance, whom we all knew as ambassador to to the United States. Um, and the succession uh, is in place. The, the late king put in, in place the succession, so it would be orderly. The question is, what happens after that? In the next generation, when you get to the grandchildren of the king, he, he was. Uh, this is the last of the of Abdulaziz's uh, sons, I think. Um, to uh, and there are uh, then you will get into the next generations and they're also between the sons and there are many of them there are the Sedaris who are considered more significant and, uh, and less significant uh, descendants of, of the king it depends who the mother was so the, the uh, I, I don't think you'll see any change in policy right now uh, I don't think you'll see a change in oil policy which is very important um, and people are going to be looking to to the next stage uh, that will follow. But he faces real challenges. The situation in Yemen, which I know people yeah. have heard us talk about for a long time, but
0: every it's week it's a, to it.
1: But everything came to it. Yeah. And they have moved even more radically against the government. They they are now trying to impose a constitution where the Houthis, backed by Iran, are are co partners, and in fact force the president, the prime minister, to resign. So they are essentially now taking over, um, and they they were ready to accept the demands for, for government sharing. Uh, so he, I mean, here they they defeated the government and the guards around the presidential palace. All of this within uh, you know two days, three days. The negotiations that are going on now, I understand, are not going very well. So uh, they face that challenge. They face Iran's intervention inside the country. They um, they uh, are obviously very concerned about the Iran uh, nuclear program. So the king faces serious issues, uh, and I think he's trying to keep the domestic scene tranquil and focused then on the, these issues. But I, his, his big move, I think, will be more in terms of the domestic agenda.
0: Did you find it unusual that Jordan is negotiating for its uh, downed pilot, a prisoner of ISIS, when we really haven't seen ISIS negotiate with anybody to this point?
1: Yes, in in, in a sense. But I think what the Jordanians are trying to do is find out if he's alive. They are trying to... The the deadline has passed, and they have not yet released the woman, the terrorist, who who uh, ISIS wants. Uh, I think they believe the pilot is, in fact, dead. Mm. And that, therefore, are, are participating in this, <clears throat> but they also have to show that they didn't slam the door. In Japan, the parents of the uh, Japanese uh, who's was held are, are saying, if uh, if he's killed it's because of the king, the king has responsibility. He does not. Uh, it's ISIS's responsibility. We shouldn't um, divert attention from it. But you see that that they are escalating their activities, that they in fact can. Uh, almost appear to be a legitimate party with which to negotiate Yeah, boy. these are brutal terrorists and look what they said this week about how uh, they called on Muslims around the world in the west to, to carry out attacks and they praised the attacks in france canada belgium australia mentioning it by name which leads you to believe that in fact they either had a role or some subsidiary role but certainly the very fact that they are supporting and calling for more and more attacks um, tells you that you can't negotiate there has to be an all-out response to them and the the fact is that they are holding onto territories they lost Kobani in in Syria uh, to Kurds and to with the support of the the coalition bombers American bombers in particular but they've had other victories in in Syria and they continue to hold a significant territory in Iraq and Syria
0: they did murder one Japanese prisoner, right? Wasn't They
1: there? killed one.
0: There uh, a, a beheading? Yes. A beheading on on two. tape.
1: And they're beheading people. We see it. Look at the attacks in in um, in the Sinai, in in uh, where, where and in uh, the northern Sinai, where scores of people more uh, twenty six killed in one day, and then in Alexandria today, I think Alexandria, they they killed nine people in a bus uh, bombing, uh, but they are. They are, have people who set up uh, roadblocks, IS people, and then they summarily behead people if they think that they are a collaborator yeah. with the Egyptian government, just yeah, my point, driving on a
0: street. My point was, remember the days when beheading was uh, dramatic and it actually caught the attention of the world? That is my point, exactly.
1: Right. It's become commonplace, and nobody cares anymore. It just It's become so widespread. I, I, I said this maybe a month ago or more, that the dumbing down of values, the fact that, that it's not only not a source of abhorrence and shock, but it becomes a major recruiting tool that they continue and other groups are doing it because they see that it works, that you can, you can get away with it. And the, uh, you know and what they're doing in, uh, in Syria, we, we don't know the full story. We may never know. Uh, We see how the the news story about the CIA arms uh, going uh, awry with the units, uh, whole units that America's trained and we invested in, turned over to to the IS brigades. So you see that their appeal continues, and um, they're complaining that they don't get enough arms. And America's saying, "Look, you can't just have an open spigot of arms," because we see that it goes over to the to the other side. And the uh, the overall the situation in Syria is too strange about who's supporting Assad. Do they want Assad out? Do they not want Assad out? Right. That the rebels took a, a base, a key base in near Damascus uh, in, in one of the fortified zones that is an approach to to Damascus, and yet in other areas they are being um, uh, beaten back.
0: What do you think of Michelle Obama and her appearance being criticized in the Middle East?
1: You know this. I I really don't like this gossipy stuff because we have so many serious issues.
0: Yeah, but I'm not asking from a gossipy point of view, was it a mistake in terms of the way, I mean, should the United States Protocol have prepared her in a different manner or this should not have been expected to be an insult or make waves in Middle Eastern media?
1: Well, well, it appears to be a statement by her, and that would, you know, that of course would royal the the, uh, royals at right. uh, the royals. So, um, uh, uh, but I'm not sure that that was the case. It may be that she, she just felt that as a Westerner coming there. Uh, I don't know that the others in the party, did Nancy Pelosi, um, right. uh, Rice, did they all cover their heads? Did they not? So, uh, I think when Western visitors come, if it's in a religious, this was not a religious ceremony, this was just a, a Shiva call because uh, he was buried, as do uh, we, right away. It's Muslim uh, tradition. So this was more of a, of a social event than it was a religious event. Malcolm. And, you know, it's interesting because if, if people knew that the king really disliked Obama and uh, had expressed those views, and, and uh, you know, now most Mos Kedoshin everybody... That everybody gets sanctified, and the the question being raised is why a big delegation? Why did the president, you know, bring all these people over—members of Congress, others, members of the administration? Obviously, the relationship with Saudi Arabia is very important, and he wants to get off on the right foot with uh, King Salman. Uh, But ultimately, it's going to come back to the policies, especially about Iran and the willingness of America to draw the line and take clear positions. Uh, is really going to be what will win them or, or
0: lose them? Please note, Malcolm compared us to one of those ratings-grabbing gossip shows. Everybody, please <laughs> note that. That I'll come back to haunt them in a future program. I guarantee you. <laughs> I didn't
1: say you. I said no, I. don't no.
0: um, One of the a couple of loose ends uh, um, uh, from a couple of our discussions. First of all, you mentioned obviously it, it was a big story last week, and I thank you for bringing it up. The Amia bombing, a prosecutor. Uh, the suspicion is, of course, he was murdered. I don't know if you read it. Did you read, did you read the account of the Haaretz reporter who escaped Argentina? Of course. That was unbelievable. Anyway, uh, <laughs> people asked me the simple question that I didn't ask you last week. I didn't, I didn't, I think the answer is no. The prosecutor was not Jewish, correct?
1: I think he may have been Jewish. Oh,
0: might he have been Jewish? Jewish
1: but, uh, the last report I got from somebody was that, in fact, uh, he may have been Jewish. Uh-huh. was Jewish. But, but th- one way
0: or the other, that's irrelevant,
1: right? Completely irrelevant. Right. And there are many relevant things to this. And if you, you remember, I said, and I went on the air that night, and I said, Nisman is not somebody. And I met him. I hosted him here in New York. We worked with him on the case, uh, on his efforts. Um was not somebody I think was likely to have to commit suicide, especially not on the eve, literally right. hours before his most important testimony of his whole life, the Congress on a report that he worked on for ten years. I think the the uh, um, you know the fact that the president's response was to dismantle the intelligence unit uh, rather than uh, an all-out campaign to find out who's responsible. The, she first said it was suicide, the evidence of suicide. I said it wasn't, and I heard from people in Buenos Aires saying to me that there there was another door to the apartment. As it turns out, there was. There was an Iranian agent in Buenos Aires at the time. There was no powder marks on his hand. So if he he had shot it, obviously, that would have been necessary. They claimed that the door was locked from the inside. Now, Locksmith says, well, that's that's not the the key issue. This is a a really amazingly courageous man there's been he's been harassed and he had 10 security guards how could they not have prevented this happening why was nobody around when uh when this uh when the attack took place against him and and especially on the eve the 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 the, the night of his uh
0: and, and he was always suspicious of those security guards.
1: And we know that Iran, the people are named, and it seems now that the his evidence was that the president and the foreign minister uh, Timmerman, who was coming here to New York soon, uh, were were involved in an effort to immunize the Iranians, in exchange for an oil deal, which they would probably have benefited or alleged a benefit from as well. Uh, but certainly the the, the trade off here mm. and. Um, I think that the Congress and others have to, the administration, have to press the Argentinians. They have. I mean, they obviously have been supportive of the, of the effort to get to the truth on this. But, uh, you know, he, he wrote a 300-page criminal complaint. There's plenty of evidence in there. And we know that, that the people, including Larjani, the leaders of, of Iran, who, who are named and the Iranians were saying, and now there are accusations the American government may have played a role in it, to, to try and ameliorate some of the of the charges against them right. and the very fact that this took place when we're celebrating uh, commemorating the 70th anniversary of of uh, liberation of Auschwitz when we're looking at at, at a um, country that had whole units just to bring Nazis to save Nazis and bring them to Argentina after the war and uh, in that larger picture those who saw and watched the uh, commemoration at Auschwitz this year, which was not a Jewish event, it, it was shamefully not Jewish until Ron, Ronald Lauder made this remarkable, really remarkable, challenging speech to the forty the forty leaders countries uh, <clears throat> leaders who were there. But we see that now in Greece, the new defense minister is, a, is a, supposedly an anti-Semite. We see the uh, comments by uh, by others, some countries with, like the Hungarian Prime Minister talking about the shameful role in the Holocaust, and yet we're seeing the rise of extremist uh, extremist parties. Merkel talked about the warning that the threats to the Jews, and and so some of the leaders took, you know, courageous, forthright positions. But at the same time, every country that's reporting, Britain, France, are reporting record levels of anti-Semitism. That 50, 60 percent, or 40, 50 percent in some countries of the violent acts against Jews who are 1% of the population it's, uh, it's when almost 60% of Germans say they want to put the holocaust behind them it's uh, you know these are things people have to look at very seriously that there are messages in it uh, the election in Greece uh, with Golden Dawn remaining to the third party it's a neo nazi party um, and uh, some of their, uh, the people who are being appointed are, are associated with racist things. They're a delegate to the EU. One of them is uh, supposedly a neo-Nazi. Uh, they, are, uh, they use Nazi imagery, the Golden Dawn itself. And this all, at the same time, is a commemorating 70 years of the Shoah and all the lessons that everybody says we learn. And never again when we see it's happening again.
0: Oh, no question about that. Uh, and back to Senator Menendez for a moment. So earlier this week when I encouraged people to call his office to voice complaints about the uh, the postponement of the bill, the truth is that's somewhat improper. We should still be calling and, and encouraging and thanking him at this point, right? We
1: should be encouraging him. <clears throat> and we should be encouraging his colleague. It's not to beat up on them, but to right. encourage him to come out publicly now and say, not only will they support the bill, but they will support an override if, in fact, there is no deal right. uh, by that time. <clears throat> it's an important message uh, to, to the Iranians that they see it and that they understand that this is not going to be obfuscated, it's going to be postponed, there are going to be more sanctions at a time when their economy is obviously uh, being impacted by it. And that, that it, while it's continuing to support activities uh... you know that they are the the iranians are supporting uh... Hamas for instance yesterday they graduated fifteen thousand people from training camps kids between from fifteen to adults at twenty one they're called pioneers of the resistance they went through this uh, training camp to become terrorists to fight against israel that iran is in no way holding back its activities certainly vis-a-vis hezbollah we see it they had this twenty seven meter long missile that was revealed And they talk about their strategy against the United States, and and it's why the message has to be it's not just the nuclear program, the ballistic missile program, the fact that they have, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 of these little midget submarines. They can close the Straits of of Hormuz. They now can act through Houthi against the Straits in in Bab al-Mandab in in Yemen. So they can threaten American shipping. 20% of the oil to the West goes through it every day. They have... um, and they have this to the terrorist network uh, to to uh to complement it and these non state terrorist uh, uh groups like Hezbollah and many others that they can and we saw what they did both in the Amiya, the attack in Argentina then and Bulgaria more recently abroad, they can attack in the region and I think they that the we have to help educate and and this is not Israel's battle, this is not Legislation for Israel—it's legislation right. to support for America's security. It's the West that's going to pay a price. It's the Europeans, everybody, will pay a price if the, if they are allowed to to move ahead, and so uh, they're in link with uh, North Korea. And more of that has come out. It's something we talked about years ago about the joint effort that they're engaged in, in developing nuclear weapons. We saw it in Syria. We saw it in uh, other places.
0: So, All right, we got to wrap up, Malcolm. And we're wrapping all right. Malcolm, thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week.
1: Have a good Shabbos. Next week from
0: Jerusalem. There you go. We always love hearing that. Malcolm, home line live from Yerushalayim next week. Noted, folks, make sure to be tuned in.